0: Welcome to Out on a Limb, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge with a sense of history. My name is Tim Enneking, and this is episode 16 of Out on a Limb. It is the 20th of December, 1922, about 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Today, we'll talk about three topics. I think this will probably end up being a relatively short episode, not because it's the holidays or anything, just because... Markets appear to have calmed down after the shock of last week and the uh, 50 basis point uh, increase. And there actually is a little bit to say about that because, as you recall, that was the prediction such as it was. It wasn't much of one. I don't even count it, really. What was remarkable is the, uh, the fact that the Fed said and did exactly what everyone knew it would say and do, and still the markets got hammered. So Wednesday was bad. Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday were very bad. Today was kind of mediocre, flattening out. But the the markets behaved really less than rationally. I felt the last two and a half days of, of last week. But now things have settled down. We'll see what happens. The debate is still the same. Uh, you know, how long is how quickly is inflation going to go down? It appears that the Fed actually has some very fairly pessimistic inflation reduction assumptions. And some folks think that because they're so pessimistic, when the real numbers come out, they'll be much better and the Fed may actually walk back some of its more hawkish language in terms of interest rates, we'll see. But basically, things have planed out both in the crypto side and the fiat side, and that's a really good segue into our first point, which is crypto cyclicality and seasonality. Now first, let's talk about the two terms. Cyclicality is for a short period of time and seasonality is obviously for seasons. Way back when in the crypto space, so five years ago and more, uh, between when Bitcoin was launched and, and probably four or five years ago, there really was n- there was neither cyclicality that has changes during the week or seasonality changes during the year. Very very few. The market was it was very much dominated by China, so there was a little bit of cyclicality in the sense that when China was awake. Things were more active. But basically, 24-7, 12 months out of the year, crypto traded, and there weren't significant significant differences in trading patterns during the day or during a year, because basically everyone who was in it was trading all the time. Then about four years ago, you started noticing seasonality. The IRS started paying attention to crypto, so the events, the the days leading up to April 15th in the US started to make a difference. You saw a little bit of trading at the end of the year. Singles day in China had a big effect. You actually started to see doldrums in the summer, but then in 2017 that got blown out because the, uh, the summer went crazy. But now you see again where in August things sort of taper down. So you see seasonality in crypto and, and the cause of that is generally you know, being a little bit institutionalized and, and not being so novel anymore. But a lot of it is you have traders and investors who are who are moving in, who are professional fiat traders and investors who move into crypto. And even though they don't have to, they have a tendency to work from when the market's open to when the market's close. And so the daily daily cyclicality, if you will. In the week, they don't trade a lot on weekends. And you can really feel that now where – uh, in the Pacific Standard Time, we start at 3 p.m. here, and 15 hours later, so at 6 a.m. in China, and a bit later in the morning in Australia, we start paying attention to what what we call the Asia wake up is going to do. And between 3 and 6 p.m. here, so between 6 and 9 p.m. and uh, 9 a.m. Sorry, in Asia, you start to get a feel for what that day is going to be like uh, in Asia. You very definitely feel that in the mornings. Uh, 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. There's not a lot going on. Same thing with the Asia wake-up. But between 6 and say 8 or 9 in the East Coast, if you look at what's happening to crypto at that point in time, you can see it's starting to react. You can see investors are waking up and starting to trade. So you have a lot of that. I mean, it's very cyclical now, to the point where someone did a calculation. I really would like to find this again, where. I just calculated, look, I'm going to buy Bitcoin when the markets East Coast in the United States open, sell it when it closes. And he did that for a year or calculated for a year and he would have lost money. Unfortunately, didn't report what the percentage was. Then he calculated the opposite. I'm going to buy Bitcoin when markets close. I'm going to sell it when markets open. So the other roughly 16 hours of the day. And that calculation resulted in being up 270%. And I can believe that easily because when fiat markets do well, you see a strong correlation, crypto markets do well. When fiat markets do poorly, you see pretty much the same correlation. But when fiat markets are closed, so there is no correlation calculation, there can't be, right? As a general rule, and you can see this daily, uh, Bitcoin gets more bullish. You could see it today, for instance, it's happening on on December 20th. It's really an, an interesting development. I'm not sure how how much longer this is going to continue because for crypto to have a breakout, for BTC to get anywhere near its ATH, correlation has to break. Whether it's going to break in terms of degree, so okay, fiat market's going to go up and BTC is just going to go up 10x that, or if it's actually going to break the correlation where fiat market's are going down and crypto is going to take off. Very very interesting question as far as the cyclicality is concerned and that ties us into seasonality. And this is a good time for that, obviously, because you have the holiday season, and you can see volumes falling. You can see volatility decreasing, just just like in the in the fiat space. Something tells me, though, we will see a surprise or two over the holiday season because there are sometimes uh, either electronic, you know, uh, robot trading, uh, you know, the, the the puts or the limit orders start to kick in. You get a short squeeze or you get a, a long squeeze. I suspect we'll see a little bit of a little bit of volatility, a spike or two here and there before the end of the year, but also I wouldn't expect anything sustained. The beginning of next year, we'll see. There's a new year start with with fresh hopes and aspirations. We'll see what happens there. So crypto uh, cyclicality and seasonality now has become something very similar to fiat uh, cyclicality and seasonality. Now the second point, totally different, Twitter. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that my prediction for Twitter is that it will be sold for less than half of what uh, Musk paid for. So it'll be sold for less than $22 billion in 2023. Um, the uh, the boy is just driving the the business into the ground. Uh, I cannot see him continuing uh, to act as CEO. The poll came out obviously voted roughly 60-40. I guess. 50 605842 to for him to be replaced because he's just doing such a massively wonderful good job of driving people away and especially driving advertisers away so no matter how many people put up hotel rooms and Twitter offices and sleep there they're not going to uh, even come close to staunching the bleeding in the business uh, I just don't see how he can stay with a company And then he's going to try to sell it. Obviously, he's going to want to sell it for $44 billion. So obviously, he's going to want to try to sell it for that much or more. But he's done so much damage. Uh, Things like Mastodon, although way, way behind Twitter, are starting to catch up. There's virtually no chance he could sell it for what he paid for it. And someone else is going to have to bail it out. On the upside, as soon as somebody a bit more reasonable would do so, A lot of advertisers would at least consider coming back, especially some of the largest advertisers in the world are automobile companies, and they're really hesitant to spend a lot of money on Twitter because that's helping Musk, who is the competitor on the automobile side. Someone else buying Twitter would eliminate that conflict, and immediately automobile companies would consider advertising again. In any event, I don't see what's going on with Twitter. I don't see uh, Musk's ownership of Twitter being sustainable. The third and last point is uh, an interesting little aspect about how Binance structured the Voyager deal. To back up, Voyager was one of the investment funds that got killed in the Terra, Luna, UST, Celsius debacle. Then uh, Sam Bangman fried and FTX, I think actually it was Alameda, uh, volunteered to pull uh, Voyager out of the fire, and then when FTX went down, obviously, Voyager's life lifeboat sank. So Binance has decided to buy Voyager. And the headline amount of the deal is interesting because Alameda, Sam, etc., they had agreed to buy it for 1.5 million. Binance is buying it for 1.02 million. And it still sounds like a lot of money, that's great. But the interesting aspect of it is Binance is putting approximately $20 million, or the O2, into the deal in cash. Now, there are two ways when a company goes bankrupt. First of all, companies in bankruptcy has assets. It's got creditors, and in this case, it's a lot of investors, let's say, and it's got assets. If it sells all of those assets for whatever it can get, the creditors, the investors will get you know something back, maybe $0.02 on the dollar, maybe $0.80 on the dollar but they'll get something back. And the buyer puts cash into the business or gives cash to the business, the now bankrupt business. What Binance did was buy Voyager as a going concern, which is very, very different. There's almost no cash that comes out. Voyager, in this case, let's uh, nobody really knows. Let's say it's got $2 billion of assets and liabilities. Binance takes it over. It does not pay all the creditors. And it does. Nor does it, nor does it pay all of the uh, or return the money to the creditors. Nor does it repay all the debtors. What it does is take Voyager over as a going concern. The hope is that the creditors will no longer panic. In other words, people that had lent Voyager money will say, "Ah, finance is backing it. No problem. You can keep my money. Keep paying my five, six, eight, ten, whatever it is percent interest. You know, pay the catch up, and I'm good." And the same thing with investors, they'll say, okay, I'll leave my money with Voyager because now that Binance controls it, it's not gonna go out of business. And so the the amount actually paid by CZ is compared to the size of the deal, virtually nothing. And it's the difference between assuming a company is a going concern and a company, so in, in the US it would be chapter 11 bankruptcy and Chapter 7 bankruptcy, which is liquidation. And the interesting thing is with some of the concerns about Binance and not providing proof of reserves, you know, with, uh, in the current environment, people are very understandably going, hey, wait a minute, we don't want your assurances. We don't want Mazar's assurances. We want, we want actually to see in great detail, an audited format, where your assets are and the fact that the reserves are sufficient and CZ has refused to do that to the level that most people want there's information out there it's reassuring information it's good information but it's not as in as much detail as people are uh, as people would like at at this point in time and so with Binance taking over Voyager the situation's either getting better in the crypto space because okay Voyager was a fairly big player and it's not going to disappear or the situation could be coming could be coming worse Uh, Because Binance Now has more liabilities That it may not be able to cover If there's a run on the bank So if Binance Binance, uh, Traders And Voyager investors All pull their money out And in theory Binance should have all of the money That Binance investors have Directly or indirectly And the indirectly is the tricky part Uh, And Voyager should have all that money as well Although it may not be liquid So if there's a run on the bank, the situation could actually be worse, not better. But in the meantime, I'm sure Voyager investors are feeling very good. If Binance is as solid as we think, time heals all, as the phrase go goes, and it will definitely heal this particular problem because even if Binance, say, does not, is not as robust as CZ would have us believe, you can bet that he's scrambling. Uh, You know, left, right and sideways to build up his reserves, cutting costs, cutting commitments to be able to have more cash on hand, uh, to be able to provide additional proof of reserves when either he just does it because people are clamoring for it. Or if a regulatory authority, whichever regulatory authority has, has uh, has that authority over Binance, it's a tough question, uh, forces him to do so, he'll be able to do it. So it might be an example, uh, the, the San Francisco fake it till you make it sort of thing, or he may just be in solid position already, and he's simply not worried about people nipping at his heels. And with that, there's today's edition of Out on a Limb. I look forward to speaking to you next week, and I hope all you, you all have wonderful uh, uh, Christmas or whatever holidays that you celebrate. Thank you very much.